Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. When I begin these messages, I cast a very wide net to welcome all from any background. And so usually it's about the first 15 minutes to even possibly 20, but or possibly less, that I introduce to people the ultimate meaning and purpose for which they were created and answer some of the very hardest questions with understanding. But before I get into any of that, I just want to mention that I do have a website at ultimatemeaning.com which you will find filled with videos as well as a flipbook. And in this flipbook is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you that answers many hard questions and has a lot of print that is in red which are actually links to many profound and amazing YouTube videos that confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. And there are things in there that will blow you away. They are quite amazing and highly verified that the vast majority of the public does not know anything about. And of course, there are powers that be are keeping many of these things hidden. But the facts are strong that show that this is not some conspiracy theory. I am not one that gets into conspiracy theories, believe me. I have seen so many conspiracy theories that can be debunked and are debunkable and yet people gullible enough to presume and believe them. Some are outrageously ridiculous like all the people that are believing the earth is flat. How ridiculous that or that it was just fake that the people landed on the moon and it didn't really happen. They just set it up. Come on. That's total. It's outrageous that people even believe those things. It's, they're not in reality. But what I am sharing here is reality. And I am sharing about the one true God who is the very source of reality. And so you can check that out on my website at ultimatemeaning.com. And even for those that are familiar with my messages, every time I share this introduction, it is different, but it'll always show in the YouTube video where you can start the actual message, with, which begins with a song, a wonderful worship song. So I am sharing about the very source of reality. And of course, one could talk for a long time about all the amazing things that have recently been discovered by science. For example, the James Webb Space Telescope which is 
a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble telescope. And the things they are finding amazing and is totally blowing away the Big Bang Theory so that the very top, many of the very top and big proponents of that no longer believe in it because it's been really uh, devastated in 16 major points. I mean, there's that. There's the discovery of what is in the gene. I mean, they've got strong, highly verifiable evidence that can actually be demonstrated because they can measure now through the Y chromosome back in time, and it's verified by things they discovered to be accurate over and over again. They're actually putting together the whole Indian civilization. They have figured that out. They know that they came here in 900 AD, not so long ago. And they're tracing out their history there, and so I won't get into that. Then you have in those genes that are so small. I mean, you can't even see the cell. And in the cell, you've got genes, and you've got, you know, you've got the chromosomes and the things that wrap and form with all this, um, these genes. And and DNA and so on. There's little robots that look like humans that have two hands and two feet that walk and carry big packages. They're given addresses to take it to certain locations where other machines take it and put it in the right place to produce something particular that the body needs. And of course, all of that can produce the whole human body that is uniquely you, which is enough information to have a stack of books go to the moon and back 50 times, according to what I saw in one video. So I am talking about the creator of the universe that is so amazing. Do you know how many stars there are? Our sun is not even one of the largest stars by any means. It's an average star in the Milky Way, which all the powerful telescopes like the James Webb and others of the ones of the stars they can see, there are so many stars. And remember, light travels in one second around the world seven times. And yet it takes five years to reach the closest star. Can you imagine that? You know how many stars there are? Enough for every grain of sand to have a thousand stars. Enough for seven billion people on the earth, I believe, to have 80 trillion stars, or is it 18 trillion? I forgot now which. For each person of 7 billion people, that's how many stars there are. The vastness of God's creation. And then I even I see on uh, the um, Creation Network, which I highly recommend you look at. It's 24-7 on scientific evidence against evolution with many amazing discoveries. But I've heard people on there say some things that I think are ridiculous too, such as, God only created life on planet Earth. The Bible teaches that. No, it doesn't. You can see all kinds of verses in the Bible that indicate there is life in other creations. People that have died and gone to heaven, God has told them about life in other creations, that they do exist. So, I mean, if... You know, all of us... We got to watch it, including myself. Like I heard one person say, don't get religious on me or don't get unreal on me by your own self-sufficiency of your own understanding. Learn to have an open mind to acknowledge God is far greater than you 
A mind that is open is a mind that is greatly humble in the sight of God. That will keep you in the place of integrity where you're not going to buy into wacky conspiracy theories, and yet you will be in awe of the creator of the universe. And let me tell you that evolution is totally decimated. It is very clear now that the earth is not billions of years old, but only between 6,000 and 10,000 years old. The scientific evidence for that is overwhelming. Oh, what about all the dating? You go to Genesis Science Network and look at all of that, okay? So I am talking about the creator of the universe. I could go into all the irrefutable evidence that shows that's the case and how wacky all this dating crap is that they make look like it's science. I don't have time. That's not what my... I'm talking about here. This is an introduction, different than most. But I want to point out to you that the ultimate source of reality can only be what can go against the second law of thermodynamics, which is the scientific law that observes that in this universe, everything left on its own goes in a direction of disorder to complete chaos. And yet here we are in a highly organized universe. I just described to you things that happen in the cells. A highly organized universe. Well, the universe should have been chaos in the infinite past, but it's not, which points to an ultimate reality. And that ultimate reality is an ultimate perfection of love that is the very source of love. And let me describe this love to you. For God, the one true eternal God is love, but his love has great integrity and purity. And yes, he didn't create you to be a machine that doesn't have the capacity to love or a robot. He created you with your own free will so that you are the source of your own actions. So don't blame God for creating the devil and all the suffering, because our own choices are necessary for there to be a being that can love and that has the capacity to love, which is the highest experience of life, the greatest and most fulfilling dimension of life, and only what can contradict the second law of thermodynamics with creativity. Robots are just machines that have input from an outside source and all these people that think they're getting such great stuff. Oh, man has got AI and the robots are going to take over the world. What a bunch of bunk that is when you look at what's in a cell that's far more superior to all your AI stuff. And that's just the physical dimension. Particle physics shows there's far superior dimensions than that. All the way up to the 10th dimension, each of them being superior to the third, the fourth, the fifth, and so on. I don't have time to get into all that. I've written a book on life after death titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which goes into particle physics and all the analysis and what they've discovered. And all the people that have died and talked to and said to the doctors while they were highly verified to be dead, all the details of what they are saying and doing is repeated over and over again, one of the strongest empirical evidence in science. So I'm sharing with you that what I am sharing here is no fable. 
or cunningly devised fable like the theory of evolution is and all the other crazy wacko things that people believe nowadays because they refuse to come before the one true God and acknowledge him. But I was sharing about love and how he created us with our own free will. Well, that means there's also the potential to make choices against this ultimate reality that when you bounce off it has destructive effect, can bring upon you consequences that are negative, that are destructive, that are counterproductive, that are can, can cause you to have a hell-contagious state of being. But the love of God, as I mentioned, has integrity. It is very pure. It will not tolerate what is contrary to love, such as us when we in our free will rebel against his love. This love is so pure that it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it that would eventually self-destruct. This love is the opposite of corruption. It is the very destroyer of corruption. This love is so pure in its integrity that as it were, it is a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. And that ensures a foundation that is indestructible from which can spring forth creation without corruption in its ultimate end as God's intent is to bring our free will into harmony with his free will. And so the first aspect of God's love can be represented in the negative symbol, which represents an indestructible foundation. In fact, the word truth means that which is real and that which is reality. And if you look up the word reality in various dictionaries, it means that which is immovable, indestructible, absolute. And the only thing that could be this is the love that I just described, represented in the negative symbol. And from that negative symbol is formed the positive symbol. By crossing out the negative symbol, you get the positive symbol or the symbol of the cross. That is the negative and positive symbol we see in all of nature and electricity and in math, that hell holds all things together, that is used in the forming of things in the womb, etc., etc. And so what happens is that God is so great that all that he has created, he can communicate. He can actually come down to this little speck of a planet, the one that created all the stars that there's no end to, from what they can tell now from the James Webb Space Telescope. They're bemoaning Oh no, the Big Bang Theory isn't true after all. And they're scratching some of them in desperation. Oh, there has to be some way of making sure we don't lose this theory. But most of them are acknowledging it has to be something else. But they don't want to acknowledge God because the Word of God says they're ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that God would in the last days give them strong delusion to believe a lie that they might be all damned who loved not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I am describing to you the one true eternal God. In the first aspect of his love and the second, that his love is so great that not only could he come down to this little speck of a planet in unum and form and communicate as he did to Abraham in Genesis 18, where there's three angels before him, and he 
asked them if he could make a meal for him, and they all eat, and he addresses one of them as Yahweh, or some call it Yehovah, but the most accurate term is actually Yahweh. That is the most sacred name for God in the Hebrew original manuscripts of the Bible. It means the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, that is separate above and beyond creation. Yes, he came. God, the being of God, came in Jesus Christ to this world. Now you're saying, oh, some might say, oh, you mean you believe in the Father and the Son, you believe in three gods? No, I don't. I believe there's only one true God. But for God to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, he must be in personage in those three ultimate aspects. Or how could he rule in it or over it? Obviously, he couldn't. And what are the three ultimate aspects of existence? They are beyond creation, as the Father, in the creation realm, which doesn't just involve the physical dimension, but far superior dimensions all the way up to the tenth, and possibly more. So as the Son, the Son is the full expression of the perfection of the being of God's love into the creation realm to communicate and experience the creation realm, communicate with it on a limited creature level, to be experience the confinement of time and space. There are many dimensions of time as well that can intersect with other dimensions of time. And then you have God, the Holy Spirit, in omnipresence. The three ultimate aspects of existence, beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation, thirdly, as the Holy Spirit in omnipresence. And he is attached to every particle of existence that he has created. And he loved you so much that he came in Jesus Christ on the cross lived a perfect life where he resisted all temptation and total union with the Father because he is totally equally God in the creation realm, communicating with his creation. And he obeyed the Father on to the death of the cross to become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for your sins. He humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. He suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross so that you could choose to repent and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I cry out from the depths of my heart. Please forgive me from all my sins. I want to be reconciled to you. I thank you for your blood that was shed for me and your body that was broken on the cross, shed that I might be cleansed and made white as snow. Your body broken unto death that you absorbed death and conquered corruption on the cross and rose from the dead. And you cry out and you ask him to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. And so God, only God, with this love that would be so great, without violating the integrity of his love that requires judgment, that he would take judgment upon himself, could be entrusted with unlimited power, with unlimited life and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way. Only this God. And he is almighty also because 
he can rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence in the three personages as the one true eternal God. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater than this love. And God is calling for you to come to him. And when I saw the accounts on YouTube of genuine Christians highly verified to be dead by doctors and medical equipment and what they time and time again have described, they described the love of Jesus Christ when they were standing before him in heaven was so great was so intense that there's no way you can describe it in this dimension because the other dimension is such a far greater experience. The way he said it was this, Dean Braxton, he said, it was like he was the only one God created in the universe and God loved him like he was the apple of God's eye. And he knew that if he was the only one that God created, that he would have died for him, humbled himself more than him, and suffered more than him on the cross so that he could repent and be reconciled to God. That is the love that is in God for you. But if you reject that love, what else is there left but for you to be cut off from that love and experience an eternity in torment because you became conformed to a contagious state of being that would turn heaven into hell. So I'm sharing with you what is ultimately real. And the word of God says that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I am crying out to you, call upon his name from the depths of your heart. Circumcise your heart. Turn, rend your heart, and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you will experience a wonderful relationship that you will enter into with God. And he will forgive you of all your sins. Now I will address those that have come to know the one true God who is life eternal through Jesus Christ. I'll share this, that how I, I seek to share these messages is by uh, seeking to speak as the oracles of God. The word of God says in 1 Peter 4, 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is referring to believers, especially when they come together in meetings. We are to seek to allow the Spirit of God to speak through us. There's another scripture in Revelations 19.10 that says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of Prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, in great reverence and humility out of a pure heart, in awe of who he is, we are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances coming from the spirit of God. And so I will seek to be in a heart set and mindset of worship in bringing this message. And what I do to facilitate that is I cast lots before God to get the possibility of any chapter before God, and I cast it with two different independent applications to get two chapters 
that will bear witness with each other as to the theme and as to the message that God is saying for a particular day. And then after that, I usually speak. Now, right now, I'm just doing one message a week on video. So I'm going to go over the messages I received this week and what I received today, which I am speaking on as well, immediately after having meditated on it. And right now, it's already 9.29 on August the 5th, Saturday of 2023. And so I want to share with you two chapters. I don't prepare anything. I don't know what I'm going to share. I'm just asking God to speak what he is wanting to say to the churches throughout United States, to the churches throughout Canada especially, and also the churches throughout the world in this hour, which is an hour of such great crisis. It is time of great crisis. I'm not on this video going to get into all of that. Many people are waking up and becoming aware of the terrible corruption there is in many institutions and governments around the world. It is being exposed because it is going to bring in a large harvest as people wake up that will come to know the one true eternal God and no longer trust in the things of man because God said in his word, that in the last days he would shake all things that are shakable, that what is unshakable might remain. And that is what we are experiencing. And the birth pangs are increasing and increasing. The shakings will increase to bring forth the ultimate purpose for which God created you and for which this world and all the people in it exist, which is to bring forth a corporate bride that will be married to the Creator even as he has created all things in male and female counterparts. His ultimate purpose is marriage to his creation, especially those that are created in his image, which is us human beings in this world. And so I want to share with you What I received throughout this week, I also cast lots out of 1,257 songs, of which very few I know, to receive what I believe God wants us to have as a song. And so today, it's the one I've never heard before. It's not, it's got a reasonably nice tune, but it's not one of the high ones that I really, really super like as far as the tune, but the words have meaning, and there's really some significant meaning in the words. So I think God wants this in relation to the message that I'm sharing so that people will be balanced by this song. So we're going to sing that song now. And so I will bring it up to uh, worship. And I will minimize myself here in a minute. Okay. So here we are. If it's at the beginning. <laughs>
strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Indeed so. Indeed so. Um, I'll just minimize this now. I'm pretty sure everything's okay. I'll just make sure. Oops. Everything's okay. Um, so now I want to um, go to what I received. By the casting of lot before God this week. And so we will bring that up right now. Here. And I do want to emphasize that one of the aspects of grace is not hiding our weaknesses from God, but bringing our weaknesses to God. That's why it says to come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need. Because the time of the need is when we're feeling really weak and maybe even the enemy is trying to intimidate us and say that we are weak and lie to us and say that, no, you, can't, you, you can never be in Christ. You, you, you can't fulfill that verse that says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me because you're not really abiding in Christ the way you should. Well, whatever it is that the enemy lies to us and our own heart condemns us, God says that he... Is great that God is greater than our heart and knows all things. As long as we know in our heart 
that we're not regarding iniquity, the Lord will hear us. If there's iniquity, then we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those that have come out of great tribulation are those that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. But when you're in tribulation, the fire brings the dross to the surface, or the spots might appear on your garments where you fall short, and maybe you come out with a burst of negativity or you throw a temper tantrum. But you humble yourself and you say, Oh God, I failed. I failed. I, I asked for mercy. I asked for forgiveness. And then you are cleansed. And through that, there is a process of transformation where soon the dross is all skimmed off the surface and your face is reflecting in the gold. As through trials and great tribulations, we are refined. Peter was refined when he denied the Lord and went out and wept bitterly. And Christ prayed for him that his faith wouldn't fail because the enemy wanted to lie to him and cause him to be conformed to the lie that he had failed God and was now an enemy of God and rejected by him. But he wasn't. And he prayed for him that his faith would not fail even though it was sifted as wheat. Now I want to share with you that many of the passages I received this week are about preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ. And on Monday, I received by the casting of Lot, Mark chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13. And both of these chapters is showing that the right submission to the higher powers, but some people use Romans 13 to justify submitting to unrighteousness the government would push upon the people. But Romans 13 is not about that. And it is not saying that you just unquestionably submit to the powers above you. It emphasizes the higher powers. And for example, where I am in Canada, there is the Constitution. That is a higher power than the government that is in rebellion against the very laws that they are supposed to be keeping. If they rebel against them and refuse to enforce them, and force a dictatorship upon the people, contrary to the laws that ensure freedom and liberty so that there can be well-being to the whole of the country and society. And so God is calling us as his people to be those that have a right understanding of Romans 13. And of course, I also received... Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, King David is mentioned by Jesus Christ because the Pharisees were condemning his disciples. And I've forgotten if it was because they were picking the corn on the Sabbath day and eating it. which is like actually eating it out of a bowl. Did you think on the Sabbath day they were allowed to eat the manna that they weren't supposed to pick on the Sabbath day, but they still had it in their bowls and they had to eat it out of their bowls? Was that wrong? So is it wrong to eat out of a plant something? What's the difference? But that's how people become. They become religious. Don't get religious on me, brother or sister, is what this pastor said. I never forgot that. 
I don't want you people to get religious on me, please, out of your own self-righteous understanding and pride. Be in humility before God and in awe before your brothers and sisters. You don't treat your brothers and sisters in any way different than you would pre-treat the Lord. If you treat them with disrespect, or it says we're to do unto others as they would do unto us. If you are doing things that would hurt them when there's no cause to hurt them, you're not walking in the love of God, and you're committing sin. You're hurting a member of the body of Christ, and you need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. If God shows you, that that's what they've done. We are to love one another fervently, brothers and sisters, with a pure heart. But when we are living in a society where there's such hardness, we can become hard. And in that hardness, there is a religiosity that develops. There's a denominative mindset. Oh, you don't fit into our mold. Oh, you don't believe everything the leadership believes in our movement. Ooh, we uh, think we'll just distance ourselves. Oh, yeah, we still love you, brother, but, you know, we feel a bit easy, uneasy around you. Oh, I love you, brother. Oh, you know, okay. God wants us to love one another fervently with a pure heart. He really does. And the hardness must be what is broken. It carries with it our own self-righteousness, which boxes us in to mindsets and heartsets that are not the love of God, that can easily hurt one another. And so King David, Christ refers the Pharisees to King David. King David ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat. Well, wow. Isn't that something? So, King David was in rebellion against the powers that be, and Romans 13 says that he should have submitted to them out of your own righteous, self-righteous understanding. Ooh, that's not too good, brother. You're not submitting to the Pharisees, the powers that be. You're supposed to be in submission. That doesn't mean you don't show respect to the powers to be, even if they are, even though they're an heir doesn't mean that you don't obey the things that are in conformity to the will of God. It only means that you do not conform to those things that are the leaven that Christ warned about. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which was their teaching that would make one more twofold, more the child of hell than themselves, so that the other ones that are the disciples would go around to make a proselyte and make them twofold more the child of hell themselves. God is saying by his spirit to his people today that he doesn't want us to be that way. Christ told the Pharisees since they were condemning the disciples for breaking the Sabbath, eating the corn, he said the Sabbath was made for man. And what did he mean by that? Not in the sense that man can do whatever he wants in the Sabbath, but in this sense, so that man would lay aside his self-seeking ways of grasping onto survival and onto his own self-comfort in wanting to get wealth and all of these things and set it aside to rest in God. 
Set aside time to love God, to know his presence, to walk in his presence. Don't grasp after the things of this world that pass away, that harden your heart. That is what it means to keep the Sabbath. It's a cessation from our own self-seeking ways. And that can be religious busyness, brothers and sisters. The church of Ephesus fell, fell from their first love. Even though they tried those that said they were apostles or not and found them liars and they were diligent and commended in those areas, which we don't even do today. And God forbid that we should be such that are blind to those that are false teachers and false apostles. God in his time will shake those things that are shakable in the body of Christ. Those that are leading God's people astray will be eventually removed because they will be exposed the more as time goes on. Not by a proud religious spirit, but by the spirit of true humility and love. And so, yes, we are to submit to the powers of be, but I don't think you're supposed to submit to the Antichrist and get the mark of the beast, are you? No. And I don't think when the government forces things on you that are contrary to righteousness that you should go along with that. Obviously not. And that is happening. And God is calling us to also have such a love for him that we will resist unto blood. It says you've not resisted unto blood striving against sin. That doesn't mean that we focus on the negative. We should be focusing on preaching the gospel above all. But in the context of preaching about the love of God, we don't sit there and condone the things that are contrary to the love of God. We make it clear that those things are contrary to the love of God. That people that are doing those things are controlled by bait that is manipulating their lives into a path of destruction. So that was the message that God was bringing forth on Monday through Romans 13 and Mark chapter 2. We go on. And on August the 1st, I received Isaiah 25 and 1 John 3. And this is about being ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Of course, what I just referred to you before is also about being ready because God's wanting us to repent of these things that our hardness of heart that caused these, this, this, us to not have the love of God and to be divided. So we read here in 1 John, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What is God saying here? He wants us to be those 
that love is appearing. So that when we see him, we will be like him. Because we have that hope in us, we are purifying ourselves from a life that is unholy. And yeah, we'll struggle through weaknesses. Who isn't one that struggles through things that it's so easily to fall prey to? We are to set aside the sin that so, does so easily beset us. And there is a lot of people watching us from heaven, believe me. Because I've written on the afterlife, and I know they can watch everything that's going on the earth. They can also go back in time to anywhere they want in the world and watch what was happening in the pre-flood world or whatever they want in heaven. I'm not going to go into that. And a lot more than that, a lot more. We read in Isaiah 25, For thou hast made a city unheaped, and a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city, it shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of terrible nations shall fear thee. Some translations say the city of violent nations shall fear thee. When they see what God begins to do upon the earth to shake the things that are shakable, to bring judgment upon the wicked, There will be nations that will acknowledge the one true God and turn from false polytheistic views of God or monotheistic views of God through the deception of their own heart. You can even have an idolatrous view of Jesus Christ. And what I shared at the beginning is what is the true view because the true fear of God is the choice to reciprocate God first in the integrity of his love, which is his holiness, which is the defensive aspect of his love. To not rebel against the severity of God's judgment and chastisement in your own life. You might be wondering why God's allowing all these trials and bringing the dross to the surface. Let us let God be the potter and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, that his ultimate goal is for my good. And he can bring you into a place of blessing later. If you learn in the trial to come to the place of surrender like Job. Because when you're in a trial, it does seem strange. It does seem like God is against you. But it says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. God is calling us as his people to be those that are prepared for his coming. And I already have in the Amplified down there the other translation I mentioned. Now, I go on to point out other things in Isaiah 25 about the coming of Christ. We read here, and in this mountain shall Yahweh of hosts, that's the original in Hebrew, make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. 
he will swallow up death in victory. Oh, that's a prophecy that came true, isn't it? And the Lord God, and when it reads like that in the King James, it's actually Yahweh, um, it's Adonai, it's actually literally Lord Yahweh, Lord Yahweh, when it's small letters, Lord. It's actually yeah, Adonai in the Hebrew. So it's Lord Yahweh. We'll wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our Almighty's, plural, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have waited for him. In the original, it's Elohim, which means just what I said. And he will save us. This is Yahweh. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For in this mountain, the hand of the Lord shall rest, and Moab shall be trodden down under him, even as the straw is trodden down for the dunghill. The Mount of Olives will split in half in the last days, and Jesus will return with ten thousands and thousands of his saints to come back to rule upon the earth. And he will have this wonderful feast, the feast, the supper of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, in the government of God upon the earth. Hallelujah. How wonderful will that be? That day is coming. Beloved now, and I think I already read that, and we have so much more here in John. And for time, I cannot go on. I would love to continue to preach on all of this. It's talking about he that hated his brother. It's a murderer. You know, the evidence of loving your brother is that you do not do things that is hateful to him. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Of course, that's someone that is in the continual practice of hate. And it's easy to fall into that. It's not wrong to hate unrighteousness. It's not wrong, and you shouldn't condemn yourself if you, for example, you, some man rapes a little girl and kills her and buries her. Is it wrong to hate that aspect of his soul that is conformed to Satan? No. But there is the potential in that soul at the same time to repent and to be conformed to God. So out of seeing the potential of the soul, there is mercy, but it's not wrong and you shouldn't condemn yourself to hate what you've seen this person do and what he's become in his soul. Or it would have been wrong for King David to hate the wicked. It's not wrong to hate the wicked and the wickedness as long as there is in your heart that other aspect that pursues their the desire for to be able to forgive them upon their repentance. Because they won't be forgiven if they rebel against God and do not repent. That doesn't mean that we necessarily are the ones that are going to lead them to repentance. But we can initiate forgiveness by choosing to say, I choose to forgive you, but I don't condone what you've done nor what your soul is presently conformed to, if you continue in that state, you will be judged, and I also desire you to be judged 
because I hate what you did and what you're conformed to. So don't let the enemy condemn you for being, for hating unrighteousness, even in a soul that is conformed to unrighteousness, as long as there is transcended in you a love that seeks to initiate forgiveness and to forgive and initiate that forgiveness that that, by saying, I choose to forgive you so that that might cause him to want to repent and come to God. That's why Christ said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He chose to initiate forgiveness because he realized the blindness and the hardness of their heart. They didn't even realize what they were doing. And so we should always seek to forgive and to initiate forgiveness, but it's not wrong, and don't let the enemy condemn you at the, if you, at the same time you feel a hate for the conformity of their soul to evil and for what they had done. So you understand now that I'm not saying or justifying hate. I am saying the opposite. And we could go on here. But I'm not here to do a long message on that passage. I want to give the overall view of what God has been saying this week. And so, on August the 2nd, I received Isaiah 24 and 2 Peter 1, and both these chapters are about having an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God in the day of judgment, which is also the day of his return to rule on the earth. And so we read in Isaiah 24, the earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. What is the everlasting covenant? It is the covenant of marriage typified in a male and female. God created us male and female, and Satan wants to distort God's ultimate purpose, which is the ultimate marriage of his corporate bride to him, which is represented in a male and female, and in marriage upon the earth. They too shall become one flesh. And so because they are doing that now, violating that covenant, it will cause even the very cosmos to become out of order. Therefore, the curse devoureth the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. That is the judgment that will come when the Lord returns upon the earth. And it says in Isaiah 33 that the air will literally be filled with the fire of his presence that will cause the wicked when they breathe the air to turn to ashes. I don't think that necessarily means this, means that throughout the whole world there's few men left. It probably means there's few men left in the areas where they are like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what it's referring to here. I am sure there are multitudes of men and women that will be at the return of Christ totally spared from the massive earthquake that will bring everything to rubble that is described in Isaiah and many other parts of the Word of God. 
fact, those that have died and have seen this happen in the future, which is in my book, describe this. That throughout the world, those that really fear God, which are those that have really come to a place of receiving God for who he is in Jesus Christ, will indeed, even the buildings won't fall around them, and they will be praising God in the fires as I'm about to describe here in Isaiah. And it says, When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree. So actually the earth will be devoured. So there's few men left in areas where there's, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there's going to be the return of Christ and this great earthquake which is described when it says, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree and as the gleaning of the grapes when the vintage is done, they shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of Yahweh and they shall cry aloud from the sea, wherefore glorify ye Yahweh. Hallelujah. And the fires, there's fires all around them because of the destruction and they're praising God in the fires. Even the name of Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of Israel in the isles of the sea. Oh, hallelujah. This is so good. This is the way it's going to happen, brother. It's described right here in Isaiah. You can read more and more about this. All the details. And it describes the earth being mightily shaken by this earthquake. And I, if I go on, I'll be reading for here for a long time. But this part in Isaiah 26 is also really good. And I put it in here because I thought it was important. So when the Lord returns, there will be the resurrection of the dead. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body, shall they arise. This is prophesied in Isaiah. Awake and sing ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself as it were for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. This is the second Passover. At the return of Jesus Christ, we will experience, as it were, a second Passover, where he exhorts us to hide ourselves in our chambers where we meet with God, for behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall dissolve her blood, disclose her blood, pardon me, and shall no more cover her slain. Because this more superior dimension of heaven, which is most likely, according to secular scientists, the fifth dimension, will begin to merge with a very inferior third dimension so that now people won't be able to die. And that might be happening before the Lord returns because they're going to see him from a distance for some time by what is described in the word of God. And so this is described in Revelations chapter 3. Or pardon me, chapter 1, I believe. My mistake. And so... It says here that this will be a time when people will not be able to even kill themselves. As it describes in Revelations 19, they will seek 
to commit suicide, but will not be able to do it because God is going to bring his judgment upon the earth. And that's described in Revelation. And we go on, and, and it goes on to describe this great earthquake and the judgment of God that will come during the millennial reign on those that have become corrupt in leadership, which is almost all the people now. And then it says, Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed because the glory when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. Because the brightness of God's glory upon the earth will confound the brightness of the moon and the sun. Hallelujah. How wonderful. And I go on. And I, this is another thing I, I decided to, yeah, I think I cast more scriptures or something here because I got, well, no, it was Second Peter was the other one I got. And of course, Second Peter confirms the first chapter because it also describes the return of the Lord. And it says here, Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence. And of course, it goes on and it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that ye take heed is unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. So the day star, which is Christ dwelling in you, that you come into a place where all the shade is out of your heart. Your, the, the Lord arises in you because you rise, because it commands you to rise in Isaiah 60 when Gross darkness covers the earth. It says, arise and shine. That means that you come into a life of holiness that doesn't have any corruption in your life, that you begin to walk a holy walk, that you allow that light to fully shine through you with love, with grace, brothers and sisters. I can't preach forever here. I know I've gone over, over already a bit over an hour here, but I'm going on here. Uh, I didn't even write those down. I'm going to skip those two chapters. Um, some things during the week, uh, sometimes I ended up having things that were more difficult to discern. Um, <clears throat> these two chapters have the common theme of cutting off the spirit of rebellion. Oh yeah, this was highly confirmed, these two chapters with each other. It is on cutting off the spirit of re rebellion that can cause rebellion to display spread in the body of Christ. And so we read in Titus 3, 10, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. The word heretic basically means in the Greek opinionated one, someone that gets proud over opinions that cause division when it's not issues of our relationship of godliness with Christ. The seven ones that are described in Ephesians 4 are doctrines of relationship with God unto godliness that are the essential doctrines that allow us to have that holy, loving union with God and with each, with each other. Someone comes into the midst and they try to cause division because they're proud and have some thing that ticks people off and they're kind of hairy, Ticky, 
like I'm getting ticked off from your hairiness, brother. Uh, please don't be hairy among our midst. We don't like people that are hairy and tick us off because you're causing division and not loving people and you're conceited and proud and that's an evidence that you have never come to a place of true conversion and true repentance so your sin remains true and what is the other chapter i receive if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son and will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of this city, This our son is a stubborn, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. All the men of his city shall stone him with stones, that he die. So shalt thou put, a, put evil away from among you, and all the Israel shall hear and fear. You see, if you allow rebellion to go unchecked, it will spread. Until the whole is leavened. Rebellion in the flesh. It happened to the Corinthians church. Some Man is having sex with his mother. And they're all praising God like nothing's going on. Instead of mourning. Oh, we just believe in showing joy because we don't believe people can be one to Christ if we don't show joy all the time, brother. You know, we want to be seeker-sensitive, brother. Yeah. But you're not real and they can tell you're not real. There is a place for everything. There's a place for mourning. And Paul said you should have been in mourning. He said we need to pray for this person that they would repent because we're going to have to deliver them unto Satan if he doesn't repent so that their flesh may be destroyed and their spirit might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. You see, they did not re allow rebellion in the flesh against God, the justification of unholy, unholy want in the midst of a holy assembly. That doesn't mean that people weren't struggling with things in their lives, but those people were repentant. But when a person continues in sin, and we sit back like nothing's happening, we're condoning it, we're becoming partakers of it. God is calling us to be bold and courageous. Faithful are the wounds of a brother, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. True love keeps our brothers and their sisters, and guards against any spirit of bitterness that could cause bitterness to spread in the assembly. He is calling us to be those that are our brother's keeper, that truly love one another, but have salt in ourselves with grace to reproach. We don't approach people with a self-righteous, proud spirit, but in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves lest we also fall. We approach them with reverence and respect. I had a brother reprove me a while back, and I was really hurt. I forgive him. I choose to forgive him. And I don't feel like I have hate in my heart towards him, but at the time, it really hurt me. Because he didn't approach me in a spirit of meekness, and even what he believed about me was totally false. He was saying, I'm legalistic and all this. I'm not. I know I'm not. 
because I know some of the things I'm doing right now that a lot of people would judge and say, oh, how can you do that? How can you show mercy to this person? Because God has called us to show mercy even to those that have hurt us. And that might seem to be wicked in what they've done, but if they have a feeble mind, sometimes they don't know what they're doing. So I've learned to love them because I love God's people because I can see their heart, that they have a good heart. And I forgive. Gladly I forgive someone that doesn't know what they're doing. And the last chapters I received today were Jonah chapter 3 and Nehemiah 2. In Jonah, you have the conditions for preservation from destruction of a nation. And in Nehemiah, you have the conditions met for construction against the destruction that has happened to Israel because of their sin. And so Nehemiah was burdened in Nehemiah 2. He was so burdened because... Israel, the walls were all broken down, and he's the one that is the cupbearer to the king, which has authority to cut his head off if he doesn't do a good job for the king. And here he goes before the king, Nehemiah too, and the king can tell he's sad. He could have pretended that he was not sad, but he wanted to be real at the cost of losing his life before the king. How about that? Are we be willing? Are we willing to be that real with one another and with those that could, like the king, possibly turn on us if we pretended to just do what pleased them? God calls us to pay the price to be who we really are in our spirit, not to put on who we really are not. I'm not saying it's wrong to choose to try to smile, but don't try to smile if the spirit is, if you sense in your soul you're to be sad and be real. Because God, you need to ask God to make you shine. And you can shine out of a sober face, and there can be more glory that people see than someone that tries to put on a fake smile. Not that it's wrong. I always pray, God, make me, because I tend to be someone that looks more sober, and I want to be someone that's more smiley to others. I don't want to look. I want to cheer others up, and I keep praying for God to change that in me, maybe because I've had a lot of sorrow in, in my life, in the past, over different things that have happened. And my mother, I remember, was lost her brother when I was born. And I remember as a little child and I would see her weeping over her brother. And her brother died when I was in her womb. So maybe I got sorrow from my mother weeping over her brother that died so young because of an accident he had. Well, it wasn't an accident. His arteries were hardened in the neck because he was eating a lot of a certain food that could harden the arteries in the neck. And he died at a young age. My mom was only in her 20s. She had me. So God is calling us to be willing 
And so he knew the king could execute him. And yet he's so bold that he says to the king, the king says, okay, what's making you sad? I'm sad because the walls of Jerusalem have collapsed. And I'm here because I want to let you know that even if it cost me my life, and the king says, what do you want me to do? And he's bold enough to tell him, I want a whole bunch of money so I can go and rebuild the walls. I want you to give me all the resources and, and the rights to the forest to get the timber. Wow, this man had faith. In the face of losing his life, may there be already Xerxes that come in this hour to provide the resources to restore God's holy temple in these last days. And you know, Jonah 3, I'm going to end with Jonah 3 without turning to it for time. In Jonah chapter 3, it is the account of the men of Nineveh. And here is Jonah. They saw Jonah as that fish vomiting out of the earth. All these people are standing on the shore, maybe fishing, and they see this enormous whale come up and it vomits Jonah out. And this has actually happened to quite a few people in history, by the way that had been swallowed by whales, and they caught the whale later, and the person came out of the whale alive. That has happened more than once. That is a fact, in case you didn't know. So this whale comes up on the shore, and they all see Jonah come out of the whale. And he starts going into the city that's three days' journey and shouting out, in 40 days, none of us shall be destroyed. And the message spreads. This man came right out of a whale's mouth. We all saw it. And he's marching. None of us shall be judged in 40 days. And what does the king do? He, he does something that I don't think we could ever get people to do today. He calls for the whole nation to not have food or liquid for three days and to get on their knees and to cry mightily unto God. To cry and to put sackcloth on and say, God, Forgive us. Forgive us. Have mercy on us. We deserve your judgment. Have mercy on us. And right now the Spirit is causing me to cry because God is wanting us not to be those that will be judged by Nineveh because they repented when Jonah came and we have not. Even though the same abominations that are done in Sodom and Gomorrah are taking place at this hour, God is calling us as his people to come together in all the cities and towns across the nation of the United States and Canada and to cry mightily unto God. Let's not just have some meeting where everything is so organized out of prayer that we don't pray. Let's have meetings where we all get on our faces and we fast and pray and cry unto him. And if you've got medical problems, that's fine, but you can still come and pray. He's calling this nation to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God so that he makes America glorious again in the glory of God. And that's where true prosperity is. It is in a relationship with God so that they become indeed a city set upon the hill in your community, in your town, across the nation that we come into a new order. I have written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can get on the internet. It looks a bit different than this cover now. 
which is all of what you can do in your local assembly so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the local assembly. And when you do that, you see, after this time of fasting, prayer, and seeking God, you can never go back to being the church the way they were. you were. You must come into this new order. We must change our ways. We must become conscious of Christ far more in our midst in every assembly and meeting. We must cause each member of the body to function in the gifts and to facilitate it. We must allow God to move by his spirit through the body, and I cannot go on for time. This message is really long, so I must close now. But thank you for listening to this message, and you can support me by purchasing my book by going to loverealize.com, or there's a link to it, or just going to, one of, to get one of those two books on Amazon itself. So thank you appreciate your prayers and I need people to come together and we need to come together and strategize in alignment with God's strategy to conquer our nation with the everlasting last day gospel of Christ. Thank you.